the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Special shout out to our TOB Institute patrons. Thank you for supporting us and the work we do. We can't do it without you. Happy to be with you for another episode. Yes. And uh, speaking of the TOB Institute, um, we recently have had an in-person course called Theology of the Body and Art, taught by Bill Donahue. Mm, the Way of Beauty is the, the way, subtitle. The Way of Beauty, yes. And you attended the course. So I, I did. I wasn't even could... planning on attending the course. <laughs> Tell us about it. It was... I, I went Sunday night to introduce Bill to the students and... I wanted to sit in on the first little bit of it, and Bill put out a challenge to all the students to, uh, how did he put it? He said how we have to learn how to take time away from our busyness and just receive, and I was convicted. I was like, crud, I had all kinds <laughs> of things I wanted to do this week. Lord, are you asking me just to step away from that and and receive, and I I did feel that nudge. So I ended up canceling all of the things that I thought I was supposed to do that week and my appointments and interviews and whatever else I had on the schedule. And I just sat and listened. Bill is such a good teacher and he shares so beautifully from his own heart and experience of how beauty has awakened his heart to the Lord. Mm. And Bill and I uh, were kind of sewn from the same cloth mm. here. Uh, but he he has his own journey and his own story, of course, and I was so enriched by it. I'll, I'll tell you one moment in the class where I was just, uh, to use one of Bill's favorite words, words gobsmacked. I was just boom. Ah, I couldn't. I could barely speak. He put up on the projector, uh, the screen, uh, a picture of a snowflake, really close up, like mm -hmm. magnified. I, I couldn't, I could barely speak. This snowflake so struck me that God's utter gratuitous beauty mm. in this snowflake that will never ever happen again. And there, there, the intricacy of the design of the snowflake. I'm going to try to find that snowflake that struck me so much and see if I can put a link to it in the show notes of this episode. So everybody out there listening can actually see what I'm talking about here. This one snowflake just stopped me in my tracks mm. in awe of the mystery of God. And think of think of the gajillion, gabillion, zillion, quadrillion, million, trillion <laughs> snowflakes that nobody ever sees. Mm. These works of of absolute beauty and mm. artistic glory that reveal God's heart. He's so generous. I mean, uh, generous is not even the it's beyond. It's super abundant, infinite generosity mm. being revealed here, and and just for like the the we don't even. I mean, who sees it? It's like in the heart of God. He's like, here's I'm gonna do this design. I'm gonna do this design a gajillion billion times every time there's a snowfall. Mm. It just it yeah. I thank you God for snowflakes. Thank you God for snowflakes. It sounds so silly to say from one perspective, but from another, it's. We, we need, he, Bill is absolutely right. We need to stop our busy lives and take in God's beauty. Mm. Small b beauty, the little beauty of a, of a snowflake 
or the beauty of a little snowflake is what I want to say, can lead us to capital B beauty, the beauty and mystery of God. It And it did for me. And that was just one instance of the week as it unfolded. And here's the good news for our listeners. We, we did film this course, and we're going to be putting it online sometime in 2021. So uh, click the link in the show notes. We'll have a link to our schedule of classes. Uh, I don't think we'll, we're not going to have that one posted yet, but stay tuned at that link. Make mm-hmm. sure you have that link in your saved links. Right. So you know uh, to, to look back at it from time to time and, and be updated as to when we are, when we are posting these classes online. Mm-hmm. It'll be, this is definitely one you'll want to take. Mm. I know it has been such a blessing to all the students who take that course and you know have a special appreciation for art and just that sense that there's there's deeper stuff there's deeper stuff in our everyday and and God's hiding in there and yeah. that the joy of finding him together um and being affirmed in that is awesome yeah the 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 connection of theology of the body and art may not be so evident to to people at first but it's it's quite profound you know Theology of the body means that the physical world is a revelation of the spiritual world. Mm. We can see the spiritual mystery through the physical. That's exactly what art is. Uh, John Paul II in his letter to artists says that the task of the artist is to make visible what is invisible through mm. colors, through through sounds, which is not so much making visible, but making, making sensual, bringing mm. into the realm of the senses that which is not able to be perceived usually by the senses. That's the role of art, to make sensual that which is insensible. Is that the way I want to put it? I like it. I hope that works. (laughs) I think everybody out there knows what I mean. Yeah, that's the connection between theology of the body and art, the making visible of the invisible, the, the bringing into the realm of the senses that which we cannot sense. Powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. And other things going on with the Institute right now? Well, um, we are going to... If you have... If you're a listener out there and you have taken TOB1 Please already, raise your hand. Yes, please. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> if you have already taken TOB1, we are going to be offering for the first time online TOB2. So if you've wanted to come to Pennsylvania to take TOB2, but you haven't been able to get here... TOB2 is going to be offered online. Again, you can click the link in the show notes on our schedule of classes to check that out. And we have just recently relaunched our patron community. I gave a shout out to our patrons just a a moment ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you are already a patron and you haven't seen the new offerings that we, we provide exclusively for patrons, click the link on that to learn more. And if you're not already a patron, consider becoming a patron. We have lots of exclusive uh, benefits, ongoing formation, videos that you're not going to see anywhere else. We're going to be doing a series of retreats uh, just for our patrons, probably mm-hmm. for a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, those, again, you can't you can't have access to it unless you are a patron. Of course, your patronage goes a long way to help us do the work we do. So if you want to learn more about becoming a patron, check out that link. Awesome. Here's our first question. Uh, It says, in one episode, you mentioned that spouses sometimes physically feel what one another is struggling with that day as a type of intercession or signal that they should pray for their spouse in a certain area. 
I am an unmarried woman, but I've recently experienced intense feelings of increased sexual desire for no reason before seeing a friend of mine whom I believe struggles with lust. Could this be an invitation to pray for him? How can I cope with these desires that I never had to deal with before? Wendy, do you want to recap for our listeners who might not have heard that episode what what we mean when we talk about feeling these feelings and how they can be intercession? Yes, there was a question in a recent episode about uh, being the primary intercessors for our spouses. And we shared about different uh, thoughts we had about that. And one of the things I shared was that knowing that I am called to be your primary intercessor has helped me to make sense on occasion of kind of feeling strong feelings when I'm not with you that I can't quite link to my own experience, like feeling some kind of deep um, frustration and thoughts coming to me like, this is never going to work out. This is just a hopeless. And I think, why am I even having that thought? Like, I'm not in a terrible situation. And over time, I've learned to recognize that these sort of foreign feelings are a call to pray for you. And it's been confirmed then when we're back together later in the day, you know, this morning I was feeling this way and what was going on in your day? And to find that, yes, what I was feeling was really... I believe it's just a gift of the Holy Spirit to call me to intercede for you because that's my role. And so I think that's what this listener was influenced by. Thank you for good spiritual directors out there because it was good spiritual direction also that helped us to understand Understand. that that's what was going on. Mm -hmm. So could this be, uh, this woman says she's experiencing sexual desires that seem kind of out of the blue almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, unusual for her, and she experiences when she's going to meet this person who she already knows struggles with with lust. Could it be that she's being invited to intercede? The answer to could it be is yes, it could be. Mm -hmm. Do I know that it is for certain? No, I I don't, but it could be. And I think she's right to, to pose the question, and I would just encourage you to to say, Lord, what is this? Open it up in the moment that you're experiencing it and just say, Lord, why am I experiencing this? Um, How can I turn this into a prayer? And that itself is already the beginning of turning it into a prayer. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't even think that's the right language. It's not that you have to turn it into a prayer. If indeed it's an invitation from the Lord to intercession, well, guess what? It's already intercession, Mm. whether you know it or not. Um, Obviously, it wouldn't be intercession if you were to follow along those those impulses in a a disordered kind of way. But to recognize this this heightened desire, uh, okay, Lord, you just say, Lord, I offer this to you, and, and I'll even fight the good fight in resisting this temptation for the sake of this person I know, who's my friend and I love, and I know that he really has difficulty and he often caves into these temptations, I'm going to fight this one for him. Mm. That That's real intercession. I And I would guess, I, again, I, don't, I can't say for certain because I don't know the particulars. I'm not this person's spiritual director or any mm-hmm. such thing. 
But I would guess she probably is being invited in these instances. The way she's described it makes me think probably, yes, this is a call to intercession for him. Mm-hmm. There's certainly no harm done in interpreting that's it right. that way. That's and, right. And if you have a heart, you know, that's open to the Lord teaching you through your experiences, he may reveal to you other things about, you know, what the meaning of this experience, but there's no harm in at least experiencing it as a call to intercede more effectively because of your understanding of that which you're interceding about. I think we can be very theoretical and yeah. removed in our prayers, and the Lord is asked, you know, certainly giving you the opportunity to not be in theory, but to be in, you know, sincere understanding, a deeper compassion than you would have that, otherwise. That's a critical point, Wendy, that we we tend to make prayer very theoretical. And I'm going to go even a step further and say, every time we experience sexual desire, every time, Mm. it is a call to prayer of one kind or another. Mm. And here, if that makes zero sense, or like, what do you even mean? Oh, I'm supposed to stop and say, our Father right now, right in the midst of the throes of sexual desire? Well, that would be fine too, but that's not even what I mean. (laughs) What I mean is this, The fathers of the church tell us, and here I'm quoting Pope Benedict XVI, the fathers of the church tell us that prayer, properly understood, is nothing but becoming a longing for God. Mm -hmm. God gave us erotic desire in the beginning to lead us to Him. In other words, Erotic desire itself in God's plan is meant to be a desire for lasting union with God. That's prayer. That's prayer. Our disordered desires, uh, my rocket engine image, you know, God gave us erotic desire to be like the fuel of a rocket that has the power to launch us to infinity and beyond, right? But with original sin, those rocket engines got inverted. And when when we seek to satisfy those desires in selfish ways, uh, that is not prayer, but it's called to become prayer. So any, I'll say it again, any sexual desire, every sexual desire we experience is a call to learn how to become a yearning for God, how to become a longing for God. That's what prayer is. So you might just say, Lord, I'm experiencing this, this flood of sexual desire. What how does this become a prayer? Lord, I give it to you. Redirect my rocket engines. Come into this disordered desire. Come into this frustrated desire. What, however you want to describe it, however you experience it, name it. Uh, don't pretend it's not there. Don't try to sweep it under a rug. Just open it up as it is, as you experience it. As you were saying, Wendy, this gets us out of the realm of theory, and this is real lived experience. Lord, I'm in the throes of a wild sexual temptation right now, I invite your Holy Spirit into it. Redirect my desire. That's a great way to put it. Lord, redirect this passion, redirect this yearning, redirect this ache towards the true, the good, and the beautiful. That itself is prayer. Mm. So yeah, it's prayer, one way or another. Amen. Hope that's helpful. I could go on and on about that. I feel kind of silly. Just well, let's go on to the next question because that one is, <laughs> you know, it's 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 weighty and it's it's something that people deal with day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if what I'm saying, if you've like 
just hearing this stuff for the first time, please, please dive deeper, learn more about this theology of the body. Maybe start with theology of the body for beginners. We'll put a link in the show notes to that book. That would be a great place to start mm-hmm. to, to learn more. Absolutely. Next question is from Dylan. Hi, Dylan. Dylan says, my wife and I have recently experienced a miscarriage of our second child at 12 weeks after conception. Mm. We named her Amelia. We had a funeral and burial service. I believe she is with the Lord. Even knowing this, I struggle with her loss. I feel as though I lost my purpose as a father, as I was not able to care for her the way I care for my son and my wife. I was not able to sacrifice myself for her. Do you know of something that I could do to help me with my struggle? Bless you, brother. Thank you for sharing your vulnerable heart with us. Uh, I just want to start by reverencing your suffering, Dylan. Our sufferings are sacred. Our sufferings are so personal. They, they, they become a, a, a window into the deepest parts of us. And I sense this in, in Dylan's question, that he's, he's getting cracked open. Mm-hmm. I once heard it said, I think this was Archbishop Shapu when we worked for him out in Denver. Uh, I think I, I heard him say, suffering can either break us or break us open. Mm. And I, I hear in Dylan's question, that his suffering is is breaking him open. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear the cry of a father's heart who feels helpless in that moment. You know, there he was. He said he wanted to, he couldn't sacrifice himself for her. He would, and wouldn't, what father would not say, I want to do whatever I can, even sacrifice myself for the life of my, mm-hmm. my child. Um, so I feel that strong, beautiful, masculine, fatherly love flowing out of Dylan's heart. And I want to say, Dylan, that in that cry of feeling powerless, feeling helpless to do anything, that that itself, that poverty of your creaturely status, and that's really what I think you're, you're butting up against here, is the fact that you are not God, you are a creature, you did not have the power to to save this child of yours it's it's a crazy thing that god mysteriously works through our humanity to enable us to share in the generation of life and we even through medicine and technology god allows us also sometimes to save lives Uh, other times though and this is a, a necessary painful lesson for us all as creatures we discover very plainly the limit the limits of our creaturely status we're not all powerful we're not the lords and masters of life we are the stewards and i know in my own life dylan this struggle wanting to be god wanting to be the one who is the lord and master of life is one i've come back to again and again and again and it dawned on me just recently, I just shared this with you within the last week or so, Wendy. Mm-hmm. I was 
praying into this because I butted up against it in my heart again, this I want to be God, I don't like that I'm a creature dynamic, which is just original sin, right? Mm -hmm. When we run into that, don't be surprised that it's there because we're all fallen, and that's where the fall took us, into this posture of wanting to be like God, wanting to be God without God, as the Catechism puts it. And I realized, again, a week ago when I butted up against this, that I don't really want to be like God in terms of who God has revealed himself to be. I want to be like God in the sense of my false conception of God. Mm. Uh, I want to be this solitary Lord uh, of my own existence. Mm -hmm. But that's not who God is. God is an eternal exchange of life-giving love, three persons. He doesn't live this all-powerful, domineering solitude, this, this, you know, just sovereign Lord of, of uh, his whims and desires. He, he lives the loving exchange of personal, sacrificial communion. That's who God has revealed himself to be. And this brings us back to this mystery that Dylan is facing right now about the death of his child. God the Father loved us so much that he sent his only son into the world to die. Mm. So, Dylan, I would invite you into a, a dialogue with the Father, with your heavenly Father, who has experienced the death of his son, and say, Father, what, what light do you have to shine here? And what light does the death of Christ shine on the death of my child? And how can I enter more deeply into the mystery of Christ's death, which doesn't end there, it becomes the passageway into resurrection. I was on a staff call with my team at the TOB Institute just today, and I was asked to lead a little reflection, and what was on my heart was this line in the gospel, your, your pain will turn to joy. Mm. Jesus says this to his apostles, to his original disciples the night before his crucifixion. Your pain will turn to joy. Dylan, I, in, I invite you to press into that scripture verse. Just Google it. Your pain will turn to joy. It's in John's gospel. If that is not real, if there is not the promise that our pain will turn to joy, then uh, I'm done. Like, uh, <laughs> like that's this is the good news of the gospel in a nutshell. Mm. Our pain will turn to joy. Our sorrow will become rejoicing. Our death will be transformed into life. I invite you, Dylan, to to ask for an increase in faith that your sorrow will become joy, your pain will become rejoicing, and the death of your child is not meaningless. It it will lead to a resurrected glory that we eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even dawned on us what's on the other side. And if that's not real, St. Paul says, if the resurrection is not real, 
then our faith is in vain. Uh, so, Lord, I ask right now for an increase in Dylan of faith in the resurrection and trust that this agonizing sorrow will lead to an ecstasy in union with you and in the reunion with his daughter on the other side that he can't even right now begin to fathom. Um, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, but it's coming. It's real. What are your yes. thoughts, Wendy? Yes, thank you for all that that you shared. I think it's really helpful. Um, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, pretend to know what the Lord is most wanting to speak to Dylan and his wife through this experience, but I fully sense that um, turning to the Father and asking for his light in this situation, his um, amazing ability to both be fully present to us in our sufferings because of exactly what you shared about Jesus and his life and join, joining himself to our sufferings and death, but also his knowledge that what seems hard to believe for us is more real than what we see right here and now, and that is all the reality of heaven and eternal life. And so whatever way that the Lord wants to specifically reveal that to this couple, we are praying that that light would come and speak to your heart as you've allowed it to be cracked open, broken open, as you said, Christopher, um, and just create that space that is ready to be filled with grace from on high. And we pray that for you and for all couples facing this very suffering right now. And we invite our podcast listeners also to be praying for those who are suffering in this way. Amen. We have a question from Bob. Hey, Bob. Bob asks, am I wrong to believe that anyone with same-sex attraction can reorder their arrows if they truly want to? Mm. Bob, I would encourage you where I, I go into much more detail than I'm able to right now in responding to this question. I, I go into that detail in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, in the chapter on same-sex attraction, and we'll put the link there in the show notes for anybody who wants that book. Um, it's interesting how he phrased that. Can you read that one more sure. time, Wendy? Am I wrong, Am to, I believe wrong to believe that anyone with same-sex attraction can reorder their arrows if they truly want to? As the question is worded, I would say, yes, you are wrong to believe to believe that as the question is worded, because it's not just a matter of, I want it. Um, and it's not just like we can go into our interior and start flicking switches, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, our, if we just want it badly enough, our desires will get reoriented. St. Paul talks about this battle. Mm -hmm. where the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. Uh, he sees this tension in himself. We live ruptured lives. This is part of the inheritance. It is the inheritance of original sin. We live ruptured lives. The good that I want to do, I do not do, and the evil I don't want to do, I end up doing. And we can all relate to that. We could, if we're being honest with ourselves, we can all relate to that. But sometimes we just kind of stop there 
and we like throw up our hands. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's that's my situation. I'm just screwed. I'm I can't change anything. I'm just gonna keep doing things I don't want to do, and I'll, uh, the things I want to do, I'm not gonna be able to do. So I'll just live with it. <laughs> well, let's read the next line where Paul says, "Who can save me from this horrible situation?" And then he praises God. He says, "Praise be to God for the gift of Jesus Christ. Christ came into the world." to restore creation to the purity of its origins. This is good news. Mm -hmm. And in our origins, haven't you read, as Jesus says, that in the beginning, in the beginning, God made them male and female and called the two to become one flesh. God created sexual desire. God created us as sexual beings, male and female, to be oriented towards one another in the free, total, faithful, fruitful gift of Self. In other words, he created sexual desire to be the power to love as God loves. And that love is oriented towards life-givingness. That love is oriented towards the other. Uh, we can say small o other in the sense of sexual difference, male towards female, female towards male, but ultimately capital O other, to be oriented towards God right? Towards the mystery of the divine love and the divine life. That's how God created sexual desire. That's the purity of sexual desire as God created it to be, and nobody on planet earth experiences it that way because we're fallen. In our own brokenness, we cannot save ourselves. You can't read enough books. You can't do enough mental tricks. You can't go through enough therapy to reorient on your own, of your own power, your broken, fallen humanity, whether it's sexual brokenness or any other kind of brokenness, pride, ego issues, greed, whatever. Go down the list of sins that we all struggle with. Mm. But here's the good news. As we open our brokenness to the Lord, grace can and does have the power to transform us, not that it happens overnight, not that it, not that it even is going to happen in this lifetime, right? St. Paul himself talks about this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. For all we know, it could have been same-sex attraction. We don't know. Uh, but it was this, this thing he struggled with, this difficulty he had in his broken humanity that he begged and begged and begged the Lord to remove. And the Lord's response was, in your weakness, you are strong. If you turn to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Right. Uh, you're overcoming this thorn, whatever it might be, is not uh, some kind of prerequisite for you to know my love for you. Mm. Right. So, so there are a lot of things to hold in a careful balance here, yeah. and and we have to have a very nuanced conversation about it. And the two extremes to avoid would be these. Uh, one extreme to avoid would be, that's the way God made you, and uh, you'll never be able to change it, so just accept that that's the way God made you. Well, here's my response to that. Jesus' very words, haven't you read that in the beginning God made them male and female? They were naked without shame. We must not point to our fallen humanity, aspects of our fallen humanity, and say, that's the way God made us. In fact, it's very clear from St. John's letter 
that these lusts that we experience, whether they're aimed at the opposite sex or the same sex, uh, it's called the, the threefold concupiscence, that disordering of our desires, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And same-sex attraction certainly falls within that. Um, and St. John says, these do not come from God. These are not of the Father. They are of the world, the fallen world in mm -hmm. which we live, right? So that's one extreme to avoid. God made you this way, and you are to celebrate your same-sex attraction. No, it's the result of our brokenness, and we're all broken in one way or another. Here's the good news. Well, here's the bad news. The bad news is we're all broken, but here's the good news. It's okay that we're broken because there's a solution, but it is not okay to call our brokenness health, mm -hmm. right? So that's the one extreme to avoid. Don't call the brokenness health. The other extreme to avoid is well, Jesus died to save you from your sins. Why don't you just say this prayer and tomorrow you won't have any of those struggles? No, 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 no. That's a, that's that that's that's taking a certain truth and and applying it in a way that is far too um, flippant. Mm. The way we grow, the way we reclaim our original humanity, the path forward for every human being. I don't care what your struggles are, same-sex attraction, uh, any kind of attraction that is a disordered attraction. I mean, maybe you're attracted to children sexually. Maybe you're attracted to violent sex. Maybe you're attracted to all kinds. There's a gamillion disordered sexual mm -hmm. attractions, right? And we all have one or any number of them that we struggle with. The way we overcome is by taking up our cross every day and following and there is always more to the journey of purification, always more. To ever say, I've already overcome that, is, is I don't think you're dealing with reality. There, on this side of eternity, we can, on the other side, in the resurrected state of our humanity, we won't be struggling with any of these things anymore, but we're not there yet. St. Paul, I think he holds the right tension right here when he says, hold these two verses together. Uh, he talks about the struggle in Romans chapter 7. I see what I want to do, and I can't do it. I don't do it. There's the struggle. Hold that together, however, with this, where Paul says, and I believe it's Ephesians chapter 3, the power of redemption at work in us is able to do far more than we think or imagine. If we hold all those elements together, I think we have the right answer mm -hmm. to to this question. I hope that's helpful. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about any of this, Wendy? Just, I, I sense that on the one hand, a question like this could be asking about, is it wrong to hope? Is it wrong to pray for these kinds of things to be healed? And, and I would say, no, it's not wrong to hope. It's not wrong to pray. But on the other hand, the same question could be, kind of a judgmental one or an oversimplification of the situation, right. as you were saying. Um, so, you know, I, I'm thinking of the beautiful film, we have mentioned it on our podcast before, called The Third Way, mm -hmm. which, in which you participated and many other people, um, but is especially significant for opening a person's eyes to the real stories of people yes. facing this struggle. Yes. And I think... 
when you encounter real people and their sincere hearts, I think it kind of almost answers this question in just that fuller human way by by realizing what this experience is and where the place of hope is and where the place of um, just acknowledging the great challenges you know, also is. Yeah, there, there are great challenges here. And I, I think another way to look at it from the right perspective is, yes, absolutely hold out hope that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ really is effective in restoring creation to the purity of its origins, but we don't get to experience the fullness of that until the other side in the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, if we if we hold out that as the arc of our story, where it's not just, well, you haven't experienced it yet, so something's wrong with you. No, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. The, the story's not over. It's not over till it's over, and it's not over until it's begun anew on the <laughs> other side. That's where we can truly expect and Ex, not just expect, we know on that other side, we will be fully glorified and all that is broken in us, all that is the result of original sin in us will be untwisted and we will be fully restored in the glory of our humanity. And even more, we get even more in the resurrection <laughs> than what we had before sin ever even came into the world. That's our hope. That's our glory. Yes. And there's no sin except the refusal to accept redemption. That's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, right, mm -hmm. that Jesus talks about. That's the only unforgivable sin. That's the only brokenness that can't be healed is when we refuse redemption. Mm -hmm. But the, the mess that unfolds when we accept the way of redemption, sometimes it gets much worse before it gets better because all our crud is now coming out, right? Uh, we're, we're bleeding. We start bleeding when the healing begins. So, yeah, don't be too quick to make judgments about where someone may or may not be in their journey. And keep in mind that the journey extends the whole way to the other side, to the resurrection. Amen. Amen. So thanks, everybody. Uh, we're going to call it on that question for this episode. We're so grateful that you guys tune in. If you know somebody who needs to hear what you heard today, click that share button. It's a great way of... of sharing the good news that Wendy and I and everybody here at the Theology of the Body Institute are trying to share. And again, if you want to help support what we do, click that link to the patron community to learn more about that. Until next time, know it in your bones. You are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. <laughs>